today we're going to shift gears from where we were last week. You remember um, last week we looked at what Paul had to say to the Philippians about uh, not looking back, but uh, he, he talked about not looking back, but he said rather his one life's goal was was to always be reaching forward. He said that he, he always wanted to be moving forward with Christ and he wanted to know him more. No matter where he was, he knew that he hadn't attained perfection. He knew that he hadn't attained the ultimate goal of being where he needed to be with Christ. Now today's message really dovetails in with what Paul said last week at, at the very beginning of, uh, of that ver- those passages that we looked at, and that is that he cautioned his readers to beware. And that's the exact same thing Jesus is going to start out telling us today in Matthew's Gospel. We'll be in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to pick up in verse 15. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. And we're going to pick up right where we left off uh, about a month ago, before Christmas and all that, uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to just, uh, because it's been so long, we've talked about so many things since then, and, and all the holiday stuff that's gone on, maybe it's kind of uh, passed out of your mind what has been uh, said in the Sermon on the Mount thus far. But remember in, uh, in, G- in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus laid out the pathway of blessing and the Beatitudes. And he told us that we need to be salt and light. He's told us that, uh, that, when, that when we sin, outwardly it's already started in the heart. So sin starts a long time before adultery happens or before murder happens or something like that. We've talked about how to uh, give properly, how to pray properly, how to uh, fast properly, how not to worry and that one's been a, you know, yesterday I was uh, looking over things and, uh, and I, I saw that passage where Jesus talks about, look at the birds of the sky and everything. And, and I was just like, I need that today. Because, you know, it, it, worry tends to creep in at, at times. In chapter 7, we talked about what it means not to judge and how we're not supposed to be a fault-finding person and that's always looking out for somebody to mess up. Uh, we've seen that we're to treat people the way we want to be treated and how that's really a, a very high standard that we should be doing positive things, not just uh, like a passive thing. The last time we looked at this in uh, verses 13 and 14, we looked at the wide and the narrow gates and how there are going to be a lot of people that end up in hell because they have not chosen um, the narrow gate. They've not decided to walk the hard road of discipleship. Now today in verses 15 to uh, 23, it builds on that because in every age there are people that try to lead others astray. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, especially as it uh, relates to uh, verses 13 and 14 with the wide narrow gates, is how do we know which spiritual leaders to listen to? How do we know what people to follow since the way to heaven is fraught with such difficulty? Because if, if it's hard to get to heaven anyway, I mean, a lot of people are going to miss it. And then we have all these other people who are actively trying to lead people astray. How do we handle that? And this is where it ties into what Paul said last week, and that is we need to beware. And, and that's what Jesus says uh, right at the outset. We need to beware of false prophets. He says a person can spot a false prophet, but it's pretty challenging at times. Therefore, beware. Now, if you found Matthew chapter 7, please stand with me as... Jesus says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, 
nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I've already said it several times, but I'm going to say it again. We must beware of false prophets. We must beware of false prophets. Now, I want you to know something about these false prophets in verse 15, and that is they are not what they seem. Now, if, if false prophets would walk around, they had a sign uh, hanging around their neck or, or some sort of uh, distinguishing mark that set them apart as a false prophet, it would be easy to, to identify the false prophet. You say, oh, that's a, that's a false prophet. I'm not going to listen to him. I'm not going to uh, follow that person. But that's not the way it is. You'll notice that Jesus says they are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. That, that language has crept into uh, kind of the vernacular of the day to describe someone who is pretending to be something they're not. They're pretending to be someone they're not. Now, this happens in the business world. It happens in, in uh, relationships, and it happens in the church. There are people who will, uh, who will come into a church, and, and they, they make a good profession. I mean, if you, if you listen to them, you're like, man, that person's saying all the right stuff. Maybe they're eloquent speakers. Uh, maybe they, they're eloquent uh, preachers and teachers, and they have uh, services, and, and amazing things are happening. But inwardly, Jesus says, they are not what they seem. They look like a sheep. They talk like a sheep. And from the outside looking in, you'd say, that person has it. They're, they're, if anybody is right, that person's probably it. But inwardly, Jesus says, they're re really out to consume. Now, notice very carefully the wording that Jesus uses in verse 15. He calls them ravenous wolves. Wolves. Now, that's really a, a pretty significant term because in the Old Testament, and I didn't realize this until I was studying this passage, but there are a surprising number of passages in the Old Testament where people are described as being like a wolf. And, and the one thing that, that's kind of like the common denominator amongst almost all those people is that they are out to consume. They consume other people. And this isn't talking about a literal consuming. It's not talking about cannibalism, but rather it's talking about uh, taking advantage of people and consuming their property. Now, can you think of any, uh, any Christ, so-called Christian leader who's out to consume people? Now, you might think of that high-profile uh, televangelist. that I, they, have the, they have the suit, they have the hairdo, they have the smile, and they're out to consume people. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you, you listen to them, and it doesn't matter how much money they have, Somebody else's money. As one writer will said, and I love this, uh, he said, Every hypocrite is a goat in sheep's clothing, but a false prophet is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Not, not only not a sheep, but the worst enemy the sheep have that comes not but to tear, uh, sorry, but the worst enemy the sheep have that comes not but to bear, tear and devour, to scatter the drive them from God and from one another into crooked paths. So if these wolves look like sheep, 
and they sound like sheep, how do we spot them? Well, Jesus spends five verses that say the same basic thing over and over and over again with some variation that tell us the answer to that. He says, you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. What does that mean? Well, people have different ideas. Some people say, well, it means you'll know them by the doctrine they teach. Some people say, no, it's, it's not their doctrine. You know, when, when you talk about the fruit of someone's life, you're talking about their lifestyle. That must be what it is. And other people say, no, uh, the fruit is, is the results that they bear. And I think all those things have to be considered when somebody's making a decision about who to listen to and following the teaching of a certain person. So let's think about uh, the doctrine that they teach. Whenever you're considering who to follow, who to listen to as a Christian uh, a teacher, what they teach should be the primary thing, that, the, at least the first thing that you're thinking about. Because if somebody's teaching the wrong thing, you shouldn't even listen to them, right? I mean, that makes sense. If somebody's teaching error or even worse heresy, you shouldn't even follow them. Now, specifically, as this relates to verses 13 and 14, Jesus has just gotten through talking about the wide and narrow gates. As this would relate back to that, this is somebody who might say something like, you know, there are a lot of ways to get to God. You don't have to come just through Jesus. Uh, all these different religions, they have different gods. They call them different things. That's really just a different name for the same God. It's, you know, we, some people say, oh, well, Muhammad taught about Allah, his father, and it's all the same God. No, it, that's, it's not all the same. Some people might say things like, well... Salvation is by faith, but you have to have some works in there too. You have to do some good deeds after you get saved or, or else you'll lose your salvation or something like that. Or some people might say, if you're not part of our group, you're not going to heaven. Or they might say something like, well, the road's not really that narrow. Just believe and then live how you want. There can be any number of things. You need to be aware. You need to be careful of what they're teaching. But second, you need to consider their lifestyle. All throughout the Bible, we, we see that the people's lifestyle is important to God. And I think one of the things that we uh, have happened in the American church many times is, is a lot of people set Christian uh, teachers and preachers on a pedestal. And I've, I've been in churches where that's happened. And I, it's never ended well. Have you, has anybody been in a church where people set the preacher up on a pedestal? And, and what happens many times... They set him up as, as being some sort of super saint, but you know what? Preachers and teachers and, and, and all these all these like everybody else. And they're going to have some failing in their life. They're going to fall. And if you've set them up and, and set some sort of uh, unrealistic, uh, I don't know, not standard, some other, uh, you just think that they're more than what they are when they fall, it always brings trouble. Now, having said that, uh, we do need to be careful. We shouldn't look for sin. Only Jesus was that. You know, we, it should raise some red flags if somebody's uh, walk doesn't match what their talk is. And, and again, never, I think as Adrian Rogers said, never mistake the moment for the man. Because if you were, and I've used this, uh, this illustration before, I don't remember where I heard it, but it, was, it stuck with me. If you were at the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus was arrested and you saw Judas kissing the Master, you'd say, my, how I love the Master. And then if you heard Peter later cursing and denying Christ, you'd say, my, how I hated the Lord. 
But those things are opposite of reality. And many times uh, we, can, we, we mistake the moment for the man. We all fail. Uh, but as St. Jerome well said, it the servants of God that both their works should be approved by their teaching and their teaching by their works. There needs, to be, uh, there needs to be some matching up in what they're saying and what they're living. And finally, we need to observe their teaching. Look at what he says in verses uh, 16 and following. He talks about gathering uh, grapes from, from thorn bushes and things like that. We should be observing the results of their teaching. Now, that's not to say that if somebody has a mega church, they're a faithful teacher because sometimes the opposite is true. And that's not to say that if somebody has a handful of people following them, that, that they're a, a false teacher because, some, again, sometimes the opposite is true. But what I mean is we must observe whether or not someone is pointing others to Christ. Do they make, in their sermons and, and the way they live their life, do they make much of themselves or do they make much of God? Do they say, come follow me, or do they say, come follow Christ? Because whatever their teaching is, whatever their lifestyle is, whatever their results are, Christ says there's a characteristic that's common to all of them. They're wolves. They're wolves. They're out to devour their people. They're out. They're, they, they try to those who follow them. Back in Jesus' day, he talked about people who would devour widows' homes. It was a problem then, it's a problem now, and it's going to be a problem in the future. These are people who somebody is called, uh, they're Christ traffickers. They're peddling the gospel. They're selling it. Now, before we move on to the rest of what he says, I, I want to make a, a couple of observations and then apply this. The first thing I, I want to point out uh, is the assumed response. What is the assumed response if you spot one of these false prophets? What should you do? Because Jesus doesn't say. So let's think. If you're a sheep and you see a wolf coming at you, what do you do? You run. You, you, make, you make tracks, right? You say, bah, everybody, get out of here. Let's move, right? Because you don't want to be devoured. That, I think, is, is the response we should have. If you, need to make, you need to get some distance between you and that person. Because that person, if they're a wolf in sheep's clothing, they're probably pretty good at deception, right? And you start listening to them say, well, I'll just catch them this Sunday. Well, I'm sick today. I'll watch them on TV because and, and, I can't go to church. Or, or I'll buy this person's book or whatever. And we, we get sucked into that very easily. So don't listen to them. Don't follow them. Why? Because what did Jesus say? Grapes aren't gathered from thorns and figs aren't gathered from thistles. Now, there was a certain type of thorn that had berries that looked kind of like grapes in that in that part of the world. And there was a, a, a plant thistle that had flowers that from a distance looked kind of like a fig. But the, different, or the, the similarities were only superficial. They were only superficial, and, and it was only an outward similarity. Now, if, if you need nourishment, you go for the real deal, right? You, you don't go for tofu, you go for steak. I mean, the real stuff. If you go for tofu, sorry. But, but I'm talking about these superficial similarities. And we know that, but why is it, and I don't understand this, why Christians knowingly follow people who are wolves? They say, well, I know they teach some truth and they teach a little error, but I'll just try and listen to them and try to filter out the bad stuff. Or they'll say things like, well, you know, I'll just... Uh, 
and they don't consider that person's living a life of luxury. They have all kinds of homes, and they're taking the last cent from some poor widow. They know the way of the cross, the way of discipleship are never mentioned, and yet they follow them. The similarities of those who are and those who are wolves are superficial at best. But if you're not going to a thorn bush to get grapes, why are you going to a wolf to get food? Now, another thing that, that strikes me is in verse 19, if you look at what he says. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And again, the context is speaking specifically of these false prophets. False prophets will fool people. They'll fool Christians. But you know what? They don't fool God. And so, to tell the real from the counterfeit, but it's not hard for God. And one day, that person's going to suffer eternal retribution. He's talking about going to hell. Look, at, look again at the picture that he uses in verse 19. He says they're thrown. Now Jesus moves from that in verses 21 to 23 and he gives us a warning that, that we really, we, we have to make sure that we really know God. Make sure you really know God. Now his words are specifically about the false prophets but even though he speaks specifically about them it applies to everybody. When we stand before God, there are going to be a lot of people who are surprised, I think. There are going to be some people who are surprised that they don't get to heaven, and there are probably going to be some people who are surprised they do. And somebody's going to be walking along in heaven, and they'll probably see somebody. Maybe you'll see somebody, and you'll say, Wow, I'm surprised that old boy made it. And he's probably going to be looking at you saying, Wow, I'm surprised that old boy made it. Surprises. And, and I, I think these people, if you look at their words, I think they're honestly dumbfounded. They're shocked. They said all the right things. They even did mighty works of God and for God, but yet they stand condemned. And as we read through this exchange, what the Lord said, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will go to heaven. Why are they surprised? I think they deceive themselves. They deceived themselves. They, they thought they simply had to say the right words and that was good enough. They thought if they just did our, uh, the right things, that'd be enough. But it's not enough just to simply call Jesus Lord, Lord. That's an important part, but it's not the only part. Because Jesus said, look at verse 21 again. He says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So what is the will? of the Father. Well, this is not some works-based salvation. He's taught that as you look through the New Testament, you can see all kinds of passages that talk about the will of God. And there are a few that, that really have... Um, want to write these down, look at them later. I encourage you to do that. Second uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Uh, Peter says, some count slowness, but as patient not wishing or not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. In other words, will for all people to repent. It may seem on the on the surface like a weird passage uh, to mention here, but I think it'll make sense. Matthew chapter forty-eight to fifty. In a house and he's teaching, and you might remember this incident because his mother and his brothers come to get him. And according to, to Mark's gospel, he gives us a little detail that the other gospel writers don't. 
His family came to get him because they thought he lost his mind. I mean, can you imagine your, your brother or your son or, or your cousin or whoever it is all of a sudden starts walking around saying, follow me, I'm God? They thought he kind of flipped his lid. And so they come to get him. And he's in the house and all these people are crowded in. And somebody says, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are out there, out here to come get you. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my, bro- who is my mother and who is my And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, God's will is for, his, is for people to become his children, to become joint heirs with Christ. And how does that happen? John chapter 1, verse 12. For as many as receive children of God, even those who believe in his name. John chapter 6 and verse 40. Again, if you're writing this down, this is a great one. Jesus says, For this is for my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Are you starting to pick up on a theme? The will of God is for people to truly become believers. To have a change on the inside. And then when the heart is changed, the outward behavior changes too. We'll love God. We'll want to do what he says. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3 gives us a, a, another clue. He says, For this is keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We'll do what he wants because we want to. Now see, that's really, that's really the issue. Believers love God. They, they don't just put on airs. They don't just say the right things. They don't just fool people. They really love God. Now somebody would say, Okay, I need to make sure that I really know God. I'm not just uh, coming under false pretenses. I'm not just making a false profession. How do I know, have assurance, that I'm really a believer? Three tests. The first is, do you love God? That's what we just talked about. The Bible says that there's, there's hostility between uh, the unsaved person and God. We don't want to have anything to do with him. We don't like him. We, in fact, we hate him. First, first thing is, do you love God? The second question is, do you love Christians? There's a, there are a lot of people out there right now who say, I love God, but I don't like who? I don't like Christians. I love God, but I don't like his church. Chapter 4 says, you can't hate your brother and love God. The person who says they love God and hates his brother is a liar. Do you love God? Yes. Do you love Christians? And then the third thing is, out of 1 John chapter 4, do you confess that Jesus is the Son of God? Because John says if you do that, if you really believe that Jesus is God's Son, God abides in you and you in God. Three tests. Do you love God? Do you love Christians? As I was saying this, a thought came to me, and that is, somebody may look at this and they say, well, these people lost their salvation. Look at that. They've done all these works. And yet they're going to hell, but look at He says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Now this is different from the way we say I never knew you. Because I will walk up to people sometimes, and this bothers Scarlett. If I walk up to people sometimes, and I'll say, do I know you? 
because we were, where was it? We were at Kathy's Pasta the other day. And I do jiu-jitsu with a guy, a great big guy. I mean, he is, he's a monster of a man. He is, like, he, if he ever met Sasquatch in the woods, Sasquatch would be afraid of this. He's a big man. And I saw a guy at Kathy's Pasta in Bolivar. Looked just like his brother. He was huge, and he looked just like him. And they finished eating, and I just, I just kept staring at him. But I was kind of scared, too, because I thought he might come and pound me into the ground, you know. And he was getting up to leave, and he's walking by our table, and I'm like, excuse me, do you know, or do you know so-and-so? Well, you look just like his brother. And Scarlett's sitting there like, oh, Jeff, what are you doing, you know? Sometimes we'll talk to people, we'll talk about somebody, and we'll say, well, I, I don't know that person. And then you get to talk about, them, oh, yeah, I, I, know, I remember that person. You ever done that? That's the way we say, well, I don't know that person. I never knew him. That's not the way Jesus is talking about he doesn't say, I don't think I know you. And they say, oh, yeah, don't you remember? We did this and this. And Jesus says, oh, yeah. How you been? How's the, how are the kids? Now, Jesus says, I've never known you. And his is an absolute that I don't know you. I never have. And that's, that's kind of a, a scary thing. There's an old movie called in this uh, called the Sands of Iwo Jima, and John Wayne has a, plays a character in there. He says a very famous line. He says, "Life is tough. It's tougher when you're stupid." And that's true. But you know, as I as I was reading this, for some reason that came to my mind. That the Christian life is tough, and it's tougher when you're not on guard against false prophets. So how do you identify them? Jesus, again, he spent uh, the bulk of this passage talking about examine their fruit. What are they teaching? How are they living? What are the results? Who are they saying to follow? And then when you've identified one of them, you need to keep your distance. Don't listen to them. Don't follow them. Don't read their books. And if you see somebody that's going down the same path, what do you do? You say, you know, I, I have some concerns about that person. Here's why. Now, you can't, you can't force them to not listen to them or whatever, but, but you need to warn them. And it's, it's depressing to me that there are those people in today's world. But you know what? One of these days they're going to stand before God and they'll account for what they've done. And that's really a warning for us all because one day you're going to stand before God and I'm going to stand before God. And I'll have to give an account for the life that I've lived, the things that I've taught and I've preached. You're going to have to give an account for how you've lived. You're going to have to give an account for opportunities uh, that you've been given. Why should heaven? Surely it's not because of something you've done. Because you can't earn your way to heaven. Nothing's good enough for that. The only way you can get to heaven is by putting your faith in Christ. By believing on Him. Jesus says that that uh, he didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but through the world, but the world through him saved. Jesus came that we might have life by repenting of your sin, turning your back, putting your faith in Christ. And as a Christian, you don't have to do that again. You've already done it. But do you have something in your life today that you need to repent of? Because we'll stand before God one day.
What if it was today? I I hope the roads are clear. Hope nothing happens. What if but what if something did happen today? You stood before God. 